0: If you'd open your Bibles, please, this morning as we study the Feast of Tabernacles, called in Hebrew, Sukkot. What does Sukkot mean? tabernacles. Tabernacles. Yeah. And a tabernacle is a booth. It's a temporary dwelling place. It remembers the time that God dwelt right in the midst of the camp of Israel in the wilderness. What happened to the Gentiles that came out of Egypt with them? They're grafted into the tribes. The Bible describes three tribes to the north, three to the south, three to the east, three to the west, and wherever the Gentiles wanted to be grafted in, whatever tribe, that's where they were part of. And they were part of that tribe from then on. And somebody says, would you please turn on the microphone? I will, in fact. And let me turn the camera, although I'm sure you'd rather see yourselves. But that's not important. Let's see, there's some comments from the Go to Me Land. Probably turn on a microphone and, yeah. Yeah, okay. All righty. And they asked that I mute all the microphones out in the audience because someone might have been on. Okay. Did I tell you we're in Psalms? I did not. Psalm chapter 40, verse 7. I always start at the Festival Days with Psalm 40, verse 7, because it's one of the most important verses in the Bible. The only other ones that are as important are the rest of them. Okay, Psalm 40, verse 7. Then I said, Behold, I come. Or in the King James it says, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. The volume of the book means the whole Megillah, from Genesis to Revelation, is about the salvation of fallen mankind through the death, burial, and resurrection of our Messiah, Yeshua. Everything in the Old Testament points to Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection for you and for me to die in our place that we might be saved. Everything in the New Testament is about salvation through faith. There is no other way. Today is the day of the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. It's got many other names. So if you've got a pencil and want to take notes, here's some of the other names. Other than the Feast of Tabernacles, it's called the Feast of All Nations. The Feast of All Nations. In Zechariah chapter 14, 16, as we're going to see, every person on earth, Jew or Gentile alike, is going to be required to keep this festival throughout the entire Messianic kingdom and into eternity future. It's also called the Feast of Ingathering, or in Hebrew, Chagasif. Because it's the time when all the gathering has been done. The gathering, the harvest in Israel, is a picture of bringing people into the kingdom. So a Messiah returns for the Battle of Armageddon, and it's over. All those that are not saved will perish. But What about all those that are saved? They get gathered into the kingdom. So the Feast of Tabernacles is described by God as when the harvest is complete. So when the harvest is complete in the picture, then all the believers are in a messianic kingdom with our Messiah Yeshua on the throne, ruling in peace and love and harmony, where the children can play with the poisonous snakes. Please don't let your kids do that now, but in the future they can. There will be no harm. Even the animals won't hurt. The children will lead lions and tigers and bears, oh my, down the streets of Jerusalem. There'll be no harm. And it says nations will not learn war anymore. Doesn't that sound like a beautiful time? A time that you would like to be part of? Amen. The feast of in-gathering. When the harvest is complete. One of the most important names to me is the season of our joy. Because if you are standing in front of Messiah in the Messianic kingdom, saved by grace, you will be so joyous. We'll be singing what? We'll be singing the new song. That's in Isaiah 26. And the words itself are in Revelation chapter 5. Let's go look at it. Revelation chapter 5. So whenever you see in the Bible an overemphasis on the word joy, you know it's going to be prophetic about the day of the feast of tabernacles. Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 and they sang a new song that new song was told to us in Isaiah chapter 26 but not the words but here are the words because it says "And they sang a new song saying what does that word saying mean it's a a quote these are the very words so if you want to know what you're going to sing in eternity start practicing these words put a melody to it says, you, you referring to our Messiah, Yeshua, the one who died for us, you are worthy to take the scroll. What scroll is that? That scroll is the title deed for the earth. That's the only documents they had in ancient Israel that were sealed with seven seals for title deeds. Adam lost the title deed to the earth, if you will, to Satan in the Garden of Eden. When they disobeyed God to obey Satan and ate from the forbidden tree. And we've been waiting for 6,000 years for those seals to be opened. But the rest of Revelation 5 up to this point was their weeping that no one is able to redeem back what Adam lost. Until we come to Messiah. When says you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For means because. Because you were slain. Did Messiah die for his sins? No, he didn't have any. We can read that in Isaiah 53. We can read that in Daniel chapter 9. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He who knew no sin. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Is this angels singing? No, angels have been redeemed. We have. You've been re- you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. So is this the 24 elders? No, because they're from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And God considers there to be 70 nations of the world. So it can't be 24. And have made us kings and priests to our God. That's the promise of Revelation chapter 1 verse 6. For whom? You and me, for the believers. And we shall reign on the earth. And when is that first seal released? Chapter 6 verse 1. After We are in heaven singing praises to the Lord our God before the throne. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which is the first letter Paul wrote, he writes about the rapture and the resurrection. And he ends 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 with, Therefore comfort one another with these words. Then he says, but. But? But? Yes. No, it's actually but. But concerning the times and the seasons, that refers to the appointed times of Leviticus 23. Passover, when Messiah died, unleavened bread when he was buried, feast of first fruits when he arose, the feast of weeks when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, and then in the fall, the feast of trumpets, the rapture, resurrection, the day of atonement, Messiah returns for the battle of Armageddon, and the feast of tabernacles. Hey, that's today. Concerning these times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Why? Because they celebrate them year in and year out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we hear the Apostle Paul telling, well, let's go look. Keep a finger here. 1 Corinthians 5. i like for you to put your eyes on it so you know it's in your Bible too. I didn't just write it in the margin of mine. In 1 Corinthians 12, 2, Paul says, you know that you were Gentiles. So he's writing to Gentiles who have been saved by faith and become believers. Verse 7, he says, therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Well, some of us resemble that more than others. Since you truly are unleavened, Leaven's a picture of sin. Having been saved, they've had their sins washed clean in the shed blood of Messiah. For indeed, Messiah, our Passover, the word Passover, Pesach, refers to the Lamb, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, what does therefore mean? Because he was the Lamb who was slain for us, let us keep the feast. Which feast? Passover. Not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul is teaching Gentile believers to keep the feasts and festivals because they teach us about Messiah's first coming and his second coming. So back to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. If you understand the feasts and festivals, you will not be caught off guard by the coming of the Lord. Verses 2 and 3 reinforce that. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. Nobody can know when it's coming. That's not what it says. Keep reading. Verse 2 said, for what? For you. Verse 3 says, for when they say, not you, but they. They who don't know the feasts and the festivals and how they prophesy the first and second coming. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. That peace and safety is tied to what? Daniel 9, 27, the false messiah is going to confirm a covenant with the many. And Israel is finally going to be able to say we have peace with our Muslim neighbors. We can lay down our arms. Have you been watching the news this week? Saudi Arabia and Israel are about to confirm a peace treaty between themselves, normalizing relations. And they say then somewhere between five and seven other Arab nations will immediately also sign on. So Israel will finally have what they think of as peace and safety. And what happens when they lay down their arms? Do you remember the Yom Kippur War? Yep. Yep. It's called the Psalm 83 War. So sudden destruction comes upon, does it say upon you? No, it says upon them. As labor pains upon a pregnant woman. Labor pains is used throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament to describe the tribulation period. Verse 4 says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. If you understand the prophetic implications of Leviticus chapter 23, the seven feasts and festivals, you will not be caught off guard. Isn't that a beautiful promise? Then let's go back and look at Leviticus 23. What are these feasts and festivals that I'm talking about? Because our Bible may call them feasts, but that's not what God calls them. Huh? Leviticus 23. We always have to do the first few verses, verses 1 through 4, so that we understand. You'll understand why whenever I hear a theologian on TV say, the Jewish feasts, Mm -hmm. my heart breaks a little. Verse 1, and the Lord, see how the word Lord is spelled? That's the tetragrammaton, the Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh. That is the I-I will be whom I will be of Exodus chapter 3 verses 14 and 15. The Lord that's also our Messiah Yeshua in Revelations it refers to in chapter 22 the Lord is the first and the last and the words are in red it's Messiah speaking he's the first and the last in Isaiah 41 we learn that those words are attributed to God. So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, There's that word saying again, which means what? Quote. Quote, Speak to the children of Israel, not speak to Israel, speak to the children of Israel, who is gathered at Mount Sinai, Israel and the mixed multitude that have been grafted in, and say to them, The feast of the Lord. The word feast is wrong. The word feast in Hebrew is chag, C H A G. This word for feast is moedim. Moedim means appointed times or appointments. When you make an appointment with the doctor, what do you do? You go see the doctor at that time. These are not man's (coughs) appointed times. These are the appointed times of the Lord. These are seven times that the Lord is going to intervene in the affairs of mankind, physically, bodily, through our Messiah Yeshua. The Appointed times of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. The word holy means set apart unto God. Convocations means in a gathering together to rehearse a future event. So for 1500 years before the birth of Messiah. Israel celebrated these appointed times which teach the first coming of Messiah. And the second coming of Messiah. And he adds with, these are my appointed times. They're not Jewish feasts. They're not Israeli feasts. They belong to the Lord. They're his appointments. And if you know our God, you know when he makes an appointment, he keeps it. Verse 3 says, six days shall work be done. That's not right. Cross out the word shall. It's six days may work be done. I say that because there's some people who feel bad if they don't work six days a week. If they take off Saturday and Sunday and don't work, they say, I'm breaking a commandment. No, they're not. It's six days may work be done, but the seventh day, not a seventh day. In biblical Hebrew, those are two separate things. A seventh day, pick one. The seventh day, God picked it. Keep a finger here and turn back to Genesis chapter 2. He picked it in Genesis chapter 2 on the seventh day of creation. Genesis chapter 2 verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. Creation is done. Creation was done in six days. How did God create the heavens and the earth? He spoke them into existence. Does God stutter? Then why did it take six days? He was setting up a pattern of 6,000 years and then the day of the Lord, the Messianic kingdom. But verse 2 says, And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done and he rested. See that word rested? That Hebrew word is Shabbat. He Shabbated. This is where Shabbat begins right here. God Shabbated on the seventh day. And throughout the scriptures, if you would bother to take a look in Hebrew, how many of you have done that? Most of you can't. Daniel has. He'll back me up. Whenever it says in English, the Sabbath day, that's not what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew says the day of the Sabbath, meaning the day that God rested. On the seventh day, from all his work which he'd done, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. What does sanctified mean? It means set it apart, made it holy, made it different from the other six days because in it he rested, that word is also Shabbat, he Shabbated, from all his work which God had created and made. Back to Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. Every Shabbat, every seventh day of the week, every day we call Saturday, is a holy convocation, which means a set-apart day to gather together to rehearse what? To rehearse the messianic kingdom, that thousand years that follows the 6,000 years from creation. Hmm. You shall do no work on it. It's the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. Then it says, these are the appointed times of the Lord. Holy convocations, again, rehearsals, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. Why is it so important that we celebrate them at their appointed time? Well, let's take a look. Passover is the 14th day of the first month. The 14th day of the first month begins as the sun goes down on the 13th. It goes from sundown to sundown, right? But Passover doesn't start at sundown. Passover is at 3 p.m. Ha Ha'aravim. What time did Messiah die on the cross? 3 pm. So not on the very day that God said, but on the very hour that God said. That's why it's important that that' appointed times. Let's go now to verse 33 to look at this one, the Feast of Tabernacles. It is so important. Verse 33. <coughs> Leviticus 23, verse 33. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Again, these words come out of the lips of the Lord. What did God say in Psalm 89 34? He said, My covenant I will not break, nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. How do you know when the words came out of God's lips? Look for that word, saying. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, the fifteenth day of this seventh month, well, that's today, shall be the Feast of Tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. On the first day, that's today, there should be a holy convocation. Where it holy set apart unto God, convocation, a rehearsal of want, the establishment of the Messianic kingdom on earth. This is the day that in Ezekiel 43, Messiah goes through the eastern gate and sits on the mercy seat and says, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet. We'll look at that in a while. It says, you shall do no customary work on it, which makes it a high Sabbath. Even if today was not Shabbat, it would be a Sabbath day. Why is God so concerned about these high Sabbaths? They all take place during the three pilgrim festivals. That is for all seven of these appointed times. Israel is required to be in Jerusalem. So when Messiah was crucified. Where was all Israel? Jerusalem to see it. When he rose from the dead. Where was all Israel? Jerusalem to see it. When the Holy Spirit came down in Acts chapter 2. Do you notice it says there's Jews and proselytes from all nations? They're there because it's the pilgrim festival. They're there to see it. When Messiah establishes his kingdom, where will all Israel be? Jerusalem to see it. Have you heard the Lord say, So you're without excuse? Well, that's why they're without excuse. Okay. Verse 35. On the first day there should be a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. Verse 36. For seven days you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall have a holy convocation. When I was younger, this used to make my head spin. It's a seven-day holiday with an eighth day. Hmm. Why would there be an eighth day? Well, we're going to have to talk about that today, aren't we? Go ahead, ask your question. Uh, Now, these offerings that are being made, are they being made by the individuals that come or just by the priests in the temple? By the the priests in the temple for for everybody. And not just for the... Jews, right. but for all nations, we're right. going to find out. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Yep, you shall have a holy convocation. So the eighth day rehearses is something very important. Hmm, you shall have an offering made by fire to the Lord. It's a sacred assembly. It's not a sacred assembly. Well, it is a sacred assembly, but that word "sacred" isn't sacred. It's an etzeret. Shemini at seret is the term for the eighth day and it means the concluding assembly. When that eighth day is finally fulfilled with Messiah sitting on the throne of the Messianic kingdom all of the seven appointed times will have been fulfilled by the Lord. He will have kept every one exactly when God said, exactly how God said. Just like in Acts chapter 2 it says when the Day of Pentecost, which is the feast of Shavuot in Leviticus 23, has fully come. So Acts chapter 2 completes the first coming of the Lord. His death didn't complete the first coming. His resurrection didn't complete the first coming. The coming of the Holy Spirit to indwell the believers, that completed the first coming. When we come to the eighth day, Shemini at Zeret, the feast of tabernacles, then all of the appointed times have been fulfilled they'll still be kept but they will be kept as a memorial could yes ma'am could you repeat that Sh- i got shemini shemini at Serret. shemini is s h e m i n i space at sarat is a t z e r e t at sarat means concluding so concluding assembly You're welcome. So that eighth day of the seven-day festival is also a high Sabbath. Because there's something very... Oh, let me just give it away. Messiah is born at the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles and the baby circumcised on the eighth day. Hmm. Okay. Somebody out there saying, are you going to teach us how we know Messiah was born at the Feast of Tabernacles? The answer is yes, if I don't talk too much says, Wayne, will you explain again the details concerning Grafton and believers being, quote, the children of Israel? Okay, I will do that. Let's turn back to Leviticus chapter 23, verse 2. Speak to the children of Israel. Who was at the base of Mount Sinai when Moses goes up to get the Ten Commandments? Everybody up. The physical descendants of Israel and the mixed multitude that have been grafted in. Was there a ham side to the camp and a lamb side? Answer is no. The commandments, statutes and judgments that the Lord gave were for all people. How do we know that? How do we know it includes the Gentiles? Here keep your finger in Leviticus 23 and go to Numbers chapter 15. And there's a Half a dozen more places we could go to see it, but I want to see it in just two places. One in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. Numbers chapter 15. In the first five books of Moses, which contain all of God's commandments, how many times does the word Jew or Jewish appear? Zero. Zero. Because he's speaking to everybody. All those who've come to him by faith. Are right, you at Numbers 15, starting in verse 15? It says, verse 15: One ordinance shall be for you of the assembly and for the stranger who dwells with you. Who's that stranger? Who's the Gerhashar? That's the Gentile who wants to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, like those who came out of Egypt with Israel. An ordinance forever throughout your generations as you are so shall the stranger be before the Lord one law and one custom shall be for you and for the stranger who dwells with you so these commandments are to whom everybody now this is Old Testament I got to show you one in the New Testament so go to 1st Corinthians who wrote 1st Corinthians Paul the Corinthians we know from 1st Corinthians 12 2. Come out of the Gentile world. But we want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 19. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. I mean, it doesn't matter if you were born a Jew or a Gentile. Some of you in here are born Jewish. Some of you are born Gentile. I don't care, and neither does God. It's not how you were born. It's have you been saved by faith. If you've been saved by faith, the Lord says, if you love me, comma, keep my commandments. So Paul says it's not whether you're born circumcised or uncircumcised. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Okay, back to Leviticus 23, because there's more to her question and the answers in the scripture we're about to read. Yes, Rachel says it's Exodus chapter 12, verse 38 that says a great mixed multitude came out from Israel. I assumed you knew that, but maybe some didn't. Okay. So we're back in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 37. These are the feasts, or what is it really? These are the appointed times of the Lord. The reason it says these are the appointed times of the Lord, we've just said here's the concluding assembly. We're done. Which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. They rehearse Messiah's first coming and second. How well did Israel do at keeping these appointed times? Not so good. Why did they not recognize Messiah when he came? Partially because they weren't keeping the feasts and the festivals. It says, to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. What's fire a picture of? Judgment. The offering is a picture of Messiah dying in place of us to take that judgment upon himself. The animal can't take away sin because it's just a teaching about Messiah. Only Messiah's blood can take away sin. But they were a picture of his death that was to come. A burnt offering and a grain offering. A sacrifice and drink offerings. Everything on its day. That's especially important at the Feast of Tabernacles. The sacrifices on the Feast of Tabernacles are so very important to understand. Verse 38 says, Besides the Sabbaths of the Lord. Meaning besides the weekly Sabbaths. They're the high Sabbaths. Besides your gift, besides all your vows, besides all your free will offerings which you give to the Lord. Also on the 15th day of the seventh month, again that's today, when you have gathered. That's why one of the names is the Feast of In Gathering. The In Gathering's over. And it pictures the bringing of the believers into the kingdom is now complete. Messiah returns to put his feet on the Mount of Olives on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. We have the Battle of Armageddon and the division of the sheep from the goats. And then on the 15th, which is five days after Yom Kippur, that's when he sets his feet on the throne and says, this is the place of my feet and this is the place of my throne and gathers in all the believing Jews from around the world back into the land of Israel as well as all the Gentiles who want to come. Says when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day, there should be a Sabbath rest. And on the eighth day, a Sabbath rest. Didn't he already tell us this? Yeah, he's telling us again. Why? Does he think we're forgetful? No, it's important. Yeah, it's important. Verse 40. And you shall take for yourselves on the first day the fruit of beautiful trees, branches of palm trees, the boughs of leafy trees, the willows of the brook. It's called the, the species, the four species. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. See that emphasis on rejoicing? That's why another name is called the season of our joy. And let me tell you what, when the Lord returns and establishes the kingdom, if you're part of it, you are going to rejoice. Verse 42, you shall dwell in booths for seven days. But then it tells us who. All who are native Israelites shall dwell in booths. So those native Israelites, the ones that are born in the land, are commanded by God to dwell in booths. If you're born in America, you don't have to, but you can. You can. I never look at God's commandments as, I have to. I look at them as I get to. It's a joy. But the answer to her second part of the question, do I have to build a booth in Texas? The answer is no, you don't have to, but you can. Verse 43, why must the native Israelites dwell in booths? That your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And when he made Israel dwell in booths, which are temporary dwellings, sometimes we call them tents, sometimes sukkahs. God forbid in the New Testament, the English tends to call them barns. Not barns. But where was God dwelling? In a tent, in a tabernacle, in the midst of them. When they dwelled in tents, he dwelled in tents. Right in their midst. Right there among them. Verse 44 says, So Moses declared to the children of Israel the feasts of the Lord. Now, again, I left out a part of how do we know that the Gentiles are included in the children of Israel? Go to the book of Ephesians. Chapter 2. 20. Yes, um. Before we get away from what we just did. Before we get away from what we just did. Well, verse 40 says, or you said four species of trees, and I just wondered what they were because I only found two. In... Yeah, don't worry about it. I'm curious. <laughs> you know, do you know what they are? I'm, I'm just curious. One's a palm, one's a willow. Yeah. Uh, uh, myrtle. Myrtle's the third one, and then there's an etrog, which is a citrus type fruit. That's the four species. Okay. okay. Thank you. Yep. I should know better than to say things. Right. Okay. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at the New Testament. Verse 12. We'll start there. Do the short version. At that time, you were without Messiah. At what time were you without Messiah? Before you got you saved. saved. At that time you were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Alien meaning you were not part of. You were separate and distinct from. And you were strangers from the covenants of promise. You were not part of the old covenant. You were not part of the new covenant. And you had no hope. You were without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua. What does that mean in Messiah Yeshua? It means once you're saved by faith. Cleansed by the blood of Messiah. You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Messiah. For he himself is our peace. Not only is he peace with us and God, but it's peace between Jew and Gentile. Once we get saved, you've got to put the prejudices aside. Doesn't matter if you were born a Jew or a Gentile. Neither has favored status in God's sight. Who has favored status? Those who are saved by faith. Whatever your origin. And has broken down the middle wall of separation. That was Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, God did not tell Peter to go eat pigs. Peter explains the vision to us. He says, God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Without that vision, what would have happened when the three Gentile soldiers came to get Peter to take him to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile? He would have said, go away. I cannot go with you. Because rabbinic law said a Gentile can't go to the home, a Jew can't go to the home of a Gentile. That's not God's law. That was man's law. God had said in Matthew 28, take the gospel to the nations. And Peter gets this vision in Acts 10 years later. The gospel hasn't gone to the nations. Why? Because the rabbi said, you can't go to a Gentile's home. So Peter said, but because of this vision, as soon as you knocked and said, God sent us to get you to bring him to Cornelius, Peter said, I get it. Three times God said, what I've cleansed don't call common. How many Gentiles knock at the door? Three. Three. Hold out two hands. Who said the pig is unclean? God. God. Who said the Gentiles are unclean? Man. Man. Who gets to decide what's clean or unclean? God. God. It doesn't cleanse the pig. What's Job 14.4? Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean thing? No one. So Ephesians 2, go down to verse 19. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. You've been grafted in. You are a part. You're indistinguishable. And members of the household of God. And then go to Galatians chapter 3 to finalize the answer to the question. I'm sorry if the answer is so much longer than the question. Galatians chapter 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We'll just skip to the bottom line, verse 29. And if you are Messiahs, meaning saved by faith, Saved by faith. Then you are Abraham's seed. Another term for seed is descendant, meaning you are a child of Abraham. How did the Gentiles get to be children of Abraham? They were saved by faith. So it's the same concept we see back in the Old Testament. Now the next question that came in from Go to Meeting Land is, let me turn back to it because I forgot already. Where did the concept of one new man come from? The answer is, go back to Numbers chapter 15. The assembly at the foot of Mount Sinai contained both physical descendants of Israel and Gentile nations that were grafted in. Verses 15 and 16. One ordinance shall be for you the assembly and for the stranger dwells with you. An ordinance forever throughout your generations as you are. So shall the stranger be before the Lord. In other words, not two peoples. One people. One new man. And that's where it comes from. Is this the only time in the Old Testament that Gentiles get grafted in and become part of Israel? Now turn to the book of Esther. Turn to the book of Esther, which we read every Purim. I try my best to do funny voices to try and keep your interest because it's a long book. Turn to the book of Esther, chapter 9. Let's see. Where's the exact verse? Scanning through it quickly. That's the one. Esther chapter 8, verse 17. So the verse before chapter 9. In every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had holiday and gladness, a feast and a holiday. Then many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. Which means they become grafted in, just like the wild olive tree into the cultivated tree. They become one new man. That's where the concept originates. And Paul's the one who uses the term one new man. Go back to Ephesians chapter 2. It's in verse 15. I didn't read down through verse 15, I was skipping. Ephesians 2, verse 15. I stopped at verse 14. I said it's Acts chapter 10. Verse 15 says, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity. Enmity is hatred that separates. Do you realize in the old days, Jews and Gentiles didn't like each other? Having abolished in his flesh the enmity. As believers, we can no longer hate each other. Messiah said, Watch, you know, by their love one for another. It says, the, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. That word ordinances is dogma. Dogma never refers to God's commandments. It refers to man-made rules and regulations. It's talking about the rules of the rabbis that said a Jew can't go to the home of a Gentile. says, so, so is to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. So Paul's the one who uses that phrase, one new man. Okay, let's go on to Deuteronomy. Brother Wayne. Yes, ma'am. I wanted to ask, uh, in Leviticus twenty-three, forty. I know that it talked about the boost later on, but should we, are we required to, or can we wave the, the uh, four species of plants? You may do it. 2340? You're not required to, okay. but you may. Thank you. It, in Deuteronomy, where did I tell you to go? Chapter 16. Verses 13 through 17. I want you to see the emphasis in here that this feast, this holy day, is for everyone. Deuteronomy 16, verses 13 to 17. You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days when you have gathered, past tense, the gathering's over, from your threshing floor and from your wine press. And you shall rejoice, again the emphasis on the season of our joy, in your feast. And then it tells us who. You and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant and the Levite, the stranger, that's the Gentile who's come to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the fatherless and the widow who are within your gate. Seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to the Lord your God in the place which the Lord chooses because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you surely rejoice. And look at verse 16. Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses. That is three times a year all the Jewish people have to go up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that includes Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, uh-huh. Messiah's death, burial, and resurrection. At the Feast of Weeks, that's what the church calls today Pentecost, it's where the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. And at the Feast of Tabernacles. So, in God's view, the Feast of Tabernacles includes the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and tabernacles in God's eyes is all one and they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed which meant when they came up to celebrate they had to bring food to share with the poor the widows and the orphans so that everyone can celebrate even those that are most poor it says every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God which he's given you so if God has given you amazing crops bring more. If you didn't have so much this year, bring less. But what you bring, you say, this is how the Lord blessed me, and he blessed me so that I can bless you. Does that make you think of the book of Ruth? It should. Why did Boaz allow Ruth not just to gather from the gleanings, but actually to follow behind the men and pick up sheeps. Care of that. Because she was blessing Naomi. It's a picture of Messiah giving salvation to the Gentiles so they could share it with the Jewish people. It's it's not only a story that happened, it really happened, but it's a big, beautiful picture once you come to understand the symbolism. Question. Yes, sir. Uh, where does it talk about when he's... I think it's in Exodus where he says or maybe later I'm not sure that's why I'm asking where the word says when you go on this of time that don't worry about what your your house that you leave by because no man will covet what you have yeah when you go up three times a right, year right. Um, that no one's going to covet your land you don't have to worry about invaders God's right. going to take care of it right. yeah hmm. um, where exactly is that It may be in the scriptures that we're going to look at shortly. So we'll keep looking for it as we go. Now let's go to Deuteronomy 31. Deuteronomy 31. It was at the Feast of Tabernacles. With Jew and Gentile alike attending. That Israel was required every seventh year to read the entire Torah. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verses 9 to 13. Are we there? Deuteronomy 31 verses 9 to 13. So Moses wrote this law referring to the book of Deuteronomy. It contains all the commandments that you and I need to follow. And delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, what's the seventh year called? The year of jubilee. At the appointed time. At the Moedim. Yes. In the year of release. At the feast of tabernacles. That's today. And when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God. In the place which he chooses. You shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together. Men and women. And little ones. And the strangers within your gates. That's the Gentiles. That they may hear. Hear what? The The Torah, the commandments of God. And that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and carefully observe all the words of this law, this Torah. Who's supposed to carefully observe all of it? Just a Jew and a Gentile, that's all. And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. So God is very clear. His commandments are for all people, which makes sense because who's he the God of? All people. The commandments of God we call the Torah. And the Torah gets um, translated in the New Testament as law. But that's not what the word means. The word Torah means instruction instruction in righteousness, it means instruction. Does the phrase instruction and righteousness ring a bell from the New Testament? 2 Timothy chapter 3. Yeah, let's go up and look at it. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I wish more pastors would stop and think about the very words in 2 Timothy. And in the New Testament, all the books that begin with the letter T are in alphabetical order and together. So Timothy comes after Thessalonians and before Titus. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting verse 14. 2 Timothy. Or? Second Timothy. Okay. <laughs> if I said it wrong, just back up and erase it out of your mind. Brad and Penny ask another question that's going to come up. So let's defer it till it comes up. Second Timothy 3.14, But you must continue, talking to Timothy, Timothy was Paul's son in the faith. He had led Timothy to salvation. But you must continue with things which you've learned and been assured of knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures. What does Paul call the Holy Scriptures? If you think it's the 1611 King James Version, well, you've got to remember it wasn't written for 1600 years yet. Holy scriptures were what you and I might call the Tanakh or the Old Testament. That's all they had. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Messiah Yeshua. What was Paul preaching to the Jews and Gentiles? He was preaching the Tanakh, the Old Testament. Verse 16 says all scripture, better translated every scripture, is Theonuptos is God breathed. Given by inspiration doesn't carry the meaning. It means that scripture is what came out of the mouth of God. Whenever you see the word of the Lord came to me saying, that which follows is scripture. And all of it is profitable for what? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, for Torah. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So Paul says, Timothy, don't teach the commandments of God, because that's Old Testament and done and gone away with, right? No, quite the opposite. He says, Every word that came out of the mouth of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So let's go to Numbers chapter 29. I get to teach about tabernacles today and next weekend. So I don't have to get through all of it today, but I have to get through Numbers 29. And I need you math majors out there to help me. Numbers 29, starting in verse 12. Remember God said, Keep this at the times I say to do it. Numbers chapter 29, starting in verse 12. Are we there? Whoops, let me see another ch- chat out there. Um, Sue says Exodus 34 24 is the answer to Bill's question about God protecting the land during pilgrim feasts. Thanks, Sue. Okay. Exodus chapter 34, verse 24. 34. Okay, keep a finger in numbers and go to Exodus so we can put our eyes on it. Yep, we'll start in verse 23. After describing the three pilgrim festivals, it says, Three times in a year all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord, the God of Israel. For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land. When you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. If Israel had kept the three pilgrim festivals, they would never have gone into captivity. Not into the Assyrian, not to the Babylonian, not to the Roman diaspora. Nor would they be cast out again in the book of Revelation during the tribulation period. So back to Numbers 29. You kept a finger there, I hope. At least your neighbors. Verse 12 says, On the 15th day of the seventh month, that's today, that's the start of the Feast of Tabernacles, you shall have a holy convocation. That's what we're doing. You shall do no customary work. You shall keep a feast to the Lord seven days. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering made by Fire as a sweet aroma to the Lord. Thirteen young bulls. Write down thirteen. How many young bulls? Thirteen. Two rams and fourteen lambs in their first year. Don't worry about the lambs and the rams. Just count the bulls. And then in verse seventeen. On the second day. That would be tomorrow. Present twelve young bulls. Somebody add thirteen and twelve. Twenty-five. To go down to verse 20. On the third day, present 11 bulls. What's 25 plus 11? 36. Go down to verse 23. On the fourth day, present 10 bulls. What's 36 plus 10? 46. You didn't know there'd be a quiz today, did you? Verse 26, it says, on the fifth day, present 9 bulls. Uh-oh, what's 46 and 9? That's tougher. 55, you got it. Verse 29, on the sixth day, present eight bulls. What's 55 plus 8? 63. Verse 32, on the seventh day, that's Hoshana Rabbah, the great salvation, presents seven bulls. So what's 63 plus seven? 70 bulls. How many nations are there in the world, according to God? There are 70 nations. So Israel is sacrificing the bulls not just for themselves but for every nation of the world. Even though the nations were not informed enough to do it for themselves, Israel must do a sacrifice for each and every one of the Gentile nations as well as for themselves. Another reason why this holy day is called the Feast of All Nations or the Feast of the Nations is called both. Historical. What was this festival about? It's about God dwelling amongst Israel. How do you say "God dwelling amongst us"? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Let's start with Exodus chapter forty. Exodus chapter forty in the wilderness. Exodus chapter 40 starting in verse 16. So Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him. So he did meaning every implement for the tabernacle was made just as God commanded. If you remember God told Moses what they're making on earth is a copy of the things in heaven. That's why he specifies this dimension, this piece of furniture, this place. Verse 17, it came to pass in the first month of the second year, in the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was raised up, meaning erected, put together. So Moses raised up the tabernacle, fastened its sockets, set up its boards, put in its bars, raised up its pillars. And he spread out the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent on top of it as the Lord had commanded Moses. He took the testimony, that's the ark and its tablets, and put it into the ark. The testimony or the Ten Commandments on the tablets, put them in the ark. Inserted the poles through the rings of the ark and put the mercy seat on top of the ark. He brought the ark into the tabernacle, that's into the Holy of Holies, And then what separates the Holy of Holies from the holy place is a veil. He hung up the veil of the covering and partitioned off the Ark of the Testimony as the Lord had commanded Moses. The Ark of the Testimony is called here because what is in the Ark is God's commandments that they heard with their own ears. That they told Moses, don't let the Lord speak to us anymore lest we die, but let him speak to you the rest. And you tell us, and we'll know it came from God because we heard these with our own ears. Oh, we got to talk about that. Ah, I hate this. The, the children of Israel are there at the foot of Mount Sinai, right? Yep. The mountain's on fire. The mountain is quaking. Quaking. In fact, the Hebrew literally says they're standing under the mountain as if God lifted it off and they're standing under. They hear the voice of God from heaven and they are terrified. How many of you think they didn't believe there was a God in heaven? And yet, turn to the book of Hebrews. Keep a finger in Exodus. But turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 3. Too many people misunderstand what faith means. It's not believing there's a God in heaven. It's not just believing that Messiah died for us. Look at Hebrews chapter 3 verses 16 to 19. Hebrews chapter 3 verses 16 to 19. For who having heard rebelled That is, those that heard God's voice from Mount Sinai, which of them rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Well, it was all except for two, who were Joshua and Caleb. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter? Oops, verse 17, I missed it. Now with whom was he angry? For forty years was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness, To whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? What does it mean to sin? It means to fail to obey. Verse 19, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. They lacked faith. Knowing that there's a God in heaven, he just spoke to me and I'm terrified, is not the definition of faith. It's do you believe? That God means what he says. God means what he says. They heard him say thou shalt not. And they did it anyway. God says that's not faith. Go back to Genesis chapter 15. Keeping a finger in Exodus by the way. I know I know. My teenage son, when we were down at Dothan teaching at First Baptist Church down there, spoke up during the teaching and said, Dad, I've only got ten fingers and you've used them all. All the innocence of children. Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. This is quoted throughout the New Testament, is it not? Paul refers to this verse all over the place. And he, that's Avram, or Abraham, before God changed his name, believed in the Lord, and he accounted to him for righteousness. That word believed is the root of the word for faith. The word believed is ha-amin, H-E apostrophe, E-M-I-N, ha-amin. Genesis 15, yes, thank you. verse 6. You got Exodus somewhere? I probably said Exodus somewhere today. Genesis 15 verse 6. And he, Avram, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and he accounted him for righteousness. The word again is heamin, H-E apostrophe E-M-I-N. It's where we get the word amen. The word amen means so be it. As you said, Lord, may it be. So God said to Avram that this man who is your servant will not be your heir. But your heir is going to come through your own body. And your descendants are going to be like the stars in heaven. And Abraham believed it. God said it. Abraham said that settles it. The word emunah which is faith comes from the same verb. Do you believe God will do what God said he would do? Okay. Back to Exodus. That's where I said Exodus. I so would be sure and keep a finger there. Exodus. We're in chapter 40. But that's the only finger you need right now is that one in Exodus chapter 40. The point is in verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting. That's the Shekinah glory of the Lord. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting. Tabernacle of meeting. Do you know what that really is in Hebrew? It's ohel moed. The tent of the appointed times, the tent of the appointed times, Ohel Moed, as in Moedim, because the cloud rested above it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the children of Israel go onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day that it was taken up. So the tabernacle led them through the wilderness. When God lifted up from the tabernacle, the whole tribe moved. All the children of Israel, the physical descendants plus those grafted in from the nations. They followed that tabernacle. And tabernacle remembers the time that God dwells among men. Go to Exodus chapter 34 verse 24. Exodus chapter 34 verse 24. I had a feeling we come upon it. This is the verse that Sue said answers Bill's question, and it does. But look at the promise of God. For I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in a year. What a promise. What does going up to the temple three times in the year or the tabernacle to keep these feasts and festivals, what does that mean the people are doing? They are believing God. They're acting in faith. And when they're acting in faith, God says, hey, I'll take care of your land, no problem. Go to 2 Chronicles chapter 5. 2 Chronicles chapter 5. Are the commandments of God burdensome? 1 John 5 verses 2 and 3 says no. It says what is the love of God? That we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Second Chronicles chapter 5 verse 3. Second Chronicles chapter 5 verse 3. Then all the men of Israel assembled with the king at the feasts, which was in the seventh month. What a point in time are we talking about? Tabernacles. So when the ark is first placed in the temple, all Israel goes up to keep the feast of tabernacles. It says, with the king. Who is the king who had the temple built? Solomon. Did the land have rest and peace in Solomon's days? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. God said he would protect the land if they would do it. When they did it, he protected the land. What happened when he stopped doing it? They got invaded and taken into captivity. While we're in 2 Chronicles, go to chapter 7. 2 Chronicles, chapter 7, verses 8. To 10. At that time Solomon kept the feast seven days, which feast I wonder, tabernacles, and all Israel with him, a very great assembly from the entrance of Amat to the brook of Egypt, meaning from the north to the south they all went up to Jerusalem to keep the feast. And on the eighth day, that's Shemini at Zeret, which is next Saturday. They held a sacred assembly, that is an at Zeret, a concluding assembly. For they observed the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. On the twenty third day of the month, the seventh month, so tabernacle's just ended. He sent the people away to their tents, joyful and glad of heart. See the emphasis on the joy. For the good that the Lord had done for David, for Solomon, for his people, Israel. And then in chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. Then Solomon offered burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of the Lord, which he had built before the vestibule, according to the daily rate, offering according to the commandment of Moses for the Sabbath, the new moons, and the three appointed yearly feasts. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles, which means how many bulls are they sacrificing at Tabernacles? Seven. 70. One for each nation of the world. Well, Israel falls away from the Lord. They get sent into the Babylonian captivity. But what do they do when they return? Let's go to the book of Ezra Ezra, E Z R A, Ezra. Or we'll call him Easy for short. Ezra chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Ezra chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It was Cyrus who said, Israel, you can go back and build the temple of the Lord because the Lord told me to tell you to do that. And here it is, chapter 3, verse 1. And when the seventh month had come, that's this month, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Why? It's the pilgrim festival. Then Jeshua, the son of Jehoshadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, Jeshua is the high priest, Zerubbabel's the governor, the direct descendant of the kings of David, the son of Shealtiel and his brethren arose and built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it's written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, they set the altar on its bases and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening burnt offerings. They also kept the Feast of Tabernacles, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings in the number required by ordinance for each day. So how many bulls? Seventy bulls, one for each nation. says afterwards, they offered the regular burnt offering, and those for new moons for all the appointed feasts of the Lord that were consecrated, and those of everyone who willingly offered a free will offering to the Lord, from the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. That's why I want to go those last two verses. Once the altar is set up, the temple is, according to God, in operation. The temple buildings are more decoration. Israel has that altar ready to carry on to the temple mount today. They could restart the sacrifices today. They probably won't, but they could. What Cyrus, the son of Esther... No, No. No. Cyrus is before Esther. Okay. It is Darius, Darius okay. that allows him to rebuild the city walls of Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. He was the son of Esther. I'm just wondering if there's anything missing right now for the temple to do. Is there anything missing for the temple right now? That's for the government of Israel to say, you can go ahead. The government of Israel is saying, no, you can't do it yet because the United States insists that they do not. We say we won't give them parts for their jets and their arms if they don't do what we tell them to. And we tell them they can't put up that altar because that's going to offend the Arabs from which we buy all the oil. One of these days, the government of Israel is going to say, it's time anyway. Okay, let's go to the book of Nehemiah. In Ezra they rebuilt the temple. In Nehemiah they rebuild the walls at the command of the son of Esther. Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. Verse 13. They are reading to the people... The book of Deuteronomy. And in Nehemiah 8 verse 13. Oops, I got a question out there. Let me see what it is. Oh, it's not a question. It's a comment. So many amazing pictures. Hi, hi, I agree. So in Nehemiah eight thirteen, Now on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law, the Torah. And they found written in the law, the Torah, which the Lord had commanded by Moses. Who had commanded the Torah? The Lord. That the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. That's tabernacles. They should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go out to the mountain and bring olive branches, branches of oil trees, myrtle branches, palm branches, and branches of leafy trees, to make booths as it is written. Then the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house or in their courtyards or the courts of the house of God, in the open square of the water gate, in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So the whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under the booths. For since the days of Joshua, the son of Nun, until that day, the children of Israel had not done so, and there was a very great gladness. I Meaning he had not done with the same joy, with the same excitement. Also day by day, from the first day until the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. And they kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a sacred assembly. And at Zerod, a concluding assembly, according to the prescribed manner. I'm not going to get all the way through my notes, but we have another day next week. But in the time left, let's look at the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah is the reading, the Megillah, for the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot, and it's intimately tied with it. So let's go to the book of Jonah, or in Hebrew, Yonah, which means dove. Oddly enough, dove. In Hebrew means bear, but Yonah means dove. Okay. The book of Jonah. Right after Obadiah, if that helps. Start in chapter 3, verse 1. Up to this point, if you remember, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and Jonah decided to go fishing instead. <laughs> Only the fish won the day, right? Jonah died. But God resurrected him. And the fish spit him out on the shore. Can you come can you imagine what he smelled like then? But chapter 3 now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Meaning, are you ready to listen now? Saying, what's that word saying? It's a quote. Arise, go to Nineveh. Nineveh is in what nation? Assyria. Hmm. Assyria was threatening Israel at that time. Jonah's afraid that Assyria is going to come down and conquer Israel. So he wants God to destroy them. But that's not God's plan. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Great meaning is very big. It took three days for Jonah to walk from one end of Nineveh to the other. That's a big city. It says, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Was Nineveh a Jewish city? No. This is a city of Gentiles. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Meaning what? He's learned his lesson. He ain't going fishing no more. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast. What's it mean to proclaim a fast? It's Yom Kippur. What comes at the end of the forty days of teshuvah? Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. And it means they are repenting, they're pouring their hearts out before God. And they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them, so even the king is going to be dressed in sackcloth and sinning in ashes and mourning and repentance, brokenhearted over the sins of himself and the people. Verse 6: Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne and laid aside his robe, his royal robes, he puts them aside. Covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. A symbol of true repentance. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his noble saying. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. And that's the rule on Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. No food, no water. Meaning, they now want to be obedient to the word of the Lord. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away his fierce anger so that we may not perish? That God saw their... Works. Notice it doesn't say Then God heard their empty words, right? God saw their works. He sees that their repentance is real. It's sincere. That they turned from their evil way. That means they repented. And God relented from the disaster that he'd said he would not bring upon them. I'm sorry. And God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. Meaning at that time. What happens when the nation turns back to sin later? Then the judgment falls. So the repentance deferred God's judgment. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He became angry. You go, why in the world would he be angry over people repenting? Because Assyria is threatening Israel. And Jonah wants God to destroy them. But if they repent, God won't destroy them. So he becomes angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? In other words, the reason he got on the boat to go away from the Middle East was because he did not want them to repent because he knew God would forgive them. When does repentance turn away God's anger and lead to forgiveness? Always when it's sincere. Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. Tarshish is around Spain to England. Nobody's exactly sure, but it refers to the fact that they get tin from that part of the world. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God. So to anger and abundant and loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. That is, he knows that repentance will soothe God's anger and put off judgment. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. Yeah, he's a little dramatic. For it's better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? What a simple, soul-searching question. Is it right for you to be angry like this? That I forgive sin? How many of you get angry when God forgives sins? Mm -hmm. No, quite the opposite, right? But Jonah's mad because he wants Nineveh destroyed. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. Well, if they're fasting on Yom Kippur and it takes three days to walk out of the city, then what day is it? If you add 3 to the 10th, you're at the 13th to the 14th. The 15th begins the Feast of Tabernacles. So there he made himself a shelter, a sukkah. The time has come. He's building it. If you know anything about the Middle East at this time of year, it's hot in the desert. It's hot in the desert. So he's going to enjoy a little shelter as he celebrates the Feast of Tabernacles. And sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of this city. He's still hoping God will destroy them anyway. He's like me. He just never wants to give in. And the Lord prepared a plant. What kind of plant? Doesn't matter. And made it come up over Jonah. That as it comes up in the night... In the desert, doesn't it always do that? Plants just jump up overnight? No. So this is clearly from God. That it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. One thing you know about a sukkah is it's got a hole in the top so you can see the stars. If there's a hole in the top, what shines through in the heat of the day? The sun. Well, this plant is covering over that hole and it's providing him some comfort from the heat. Those of you who live in Texas might be familiar with the story. (laughs) It's still really hot in the desert this time of year. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. You see those words? What it literally says is Jonah rejoiced with great joy. Tabernacles is called the season of our joy. Verse 7, but as morning dawned, the next day God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. So the plant that came up in a day, gone in a day. It happened when the sun arose. (laughs) God doesn't just let it beat down on him, but look at this. God prepared a vehement east wind. Those Chiracos, they would like set your toes on fire, curl your hair and your eyelids, you know, hot. And the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? He said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. He's going to die because the plant died. Okay, again, he might be a little overdramatic. But the Lord said, you've had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow which came up in a night and perished in a night and should I not pity Nineveh that great city in which more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and so much livestock in other words sin is the breaking of God's commandments What had Nineveh done? They had broken God's commandments, which means the commandments apply to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews. Whether you like that or whether you don't like that. But just as sin is charged to the Gentiles just as it is to the Jews, so everyone has the opportunity to repent and come back to God in faith. They didn't just repent because they were afraid. They repent because... They have become believers in God. What did the king say? But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent? These are words that say, yeah, we know we've sinned against God. We need to reverse our stand. And God did in fact forgive them. Well, we've come to the end of the time for today. So we'll finish this next Shabbat.